I'm reading a book that I wanted to read for a very long time. It's one of those books that sat on my bookshelf staring at me as I ordered new books from Amazon. And it is <clears throat> A Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century. Nice. Evol Evolution and the Challenges of Modern Life by Heather Hying and Brett Weinstein. Which, <clears throat> or Weinstein, yeah, Weinstein, I think. It's Weinstein or Weinstein. Joe Rogan's very particular about that for some reason. Mm. But anyways, so it's a pretty cool book. It's about evolutionary psychology and biology and all that stuff. But I found a paragraph in here that's pretty related to the podcast. So I thought it might, it might be good to share. So this uh, section is called the human paradox, but I'm just going to read a paragraph here. He basically talks about, um, before I read what it actually says here, but he's basically talking about how there's a paradox in humanity because we are all of us masters of certain things or more or less we're, we're better at certain things than others you have strengths that i don't have i have strengths that you don't have but as a species it doesn't seem to matter because of our community we're able to take advantage of each other's strengths and weaknesses so the paradox is something like we're specialists individually but we're but we're generalists as a community and that's the human paradox and that's why we're so successful as a species but he talks about how paradoxes if if you see one if you witness one that's actually where you have to do the digging which is i thought was interesting so here i quote a paradox in science is like an x on a treasure map it tells us where to dig our unrivaled breadth of specialization is a paradox that marks the location of a spectacular trove not so much of riches but of tools by unraveling the human paradox we can unlock a conceptual framework that allows us to understand ourselves and to navigate our lives with intention and skill. And then this book unpacks the human paradox and describes the tools we discover there and so on. But I just thought that was interesting that as a biologist, he kind of came to the same conclusion that you and I came to is that there's something really valuable and worth exploring when you witness something that's contradictory in nature. Yeah, it is fascinating and and probably millions of people you know before us obviously pointing to it and stuff but um i like i like i think it was oscar wilde saying something similar of like it's the it's the truth like it's where you find the truth as he's talking about like the x on the map but he also says it's a bit of a tightrope walk between these apparent opposites, you know, some sort of uh, both and type of stuff. And, but there's just a million of them. There's a million, you know, it's like this overlapping thing of all sorts of stuff. But that's fascinating to think about some sort of hunter gatherer tribe and like everyone's particular skill or role really being critical. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, what, whatever it is, it is, uh, you know, it's absolutely needed and, and critical. And, yeah. and, the, and the more people that you have that are working towards some sort of common goal, you know, the better. But if you could look at that as these, you know, visuals of these, uh, infinity symbol type of things of just these, all these overlapping people of connections and, you know, um, and skills and things like that working together. Kind of fascinating. I think it is. It's, you mentioned that tightrope and I guess in his words, it would be that, that balance between being a generalist <clears throat> and specializing in something. So that's interesting. It's like, what's humanity's biggest strength. We specialize what's humanity's biggest strength. We're generalists. Yeah. It's like we're both and we keep those in, in balance. And what's interesting is if you, 
if you zoom down to the individual, that has to be true for the individual as well. So for you to be, let's say an engineer, you need just a wide base of generalist knowledge, like language. History doesn't, doesn't, might not be directly related, but it certainly helps in terms of the, the ethics of engineering. Uh, obviously math and physics, like there's these general principles really that high school aims to teach that you need in order to branch out and specialize into anything. And so you need that. But if you over specialize too much and you drift away from those generalist principles, you can actually lose your grounding and, and find yourself somewhere that, that you don't want to be. Likewise, there's, there's a risk to not specializing because you don't become good at anything. You don't, you don't have anything uh, specific or individual to you to offer to the world. So it's cool that that, that balance exists to the individual, but also to the community and to the, to humanity as a whole. Yeah. Uh, something, a quote I have on, uh, my website is from Heraclitus. He said, um, those interested in wisdom must study many things, but it's like, even back then, you know, prior to Socrates, he's, railing against the specialists in that time <laughs> you know advocating for this thing of of studying many things i love that man that, yeah. and that and that is the same struggle that athletes if you think about like olympians mm-hmm. they need to be generalists but they need to be specialists because if you lose that base that basic foundation of training such as just basic athleticism, you know, can you, can you run? Can you swim? Can you do some push-ups? Can you do some pull-ups? Like there's this base list of things that every human should be able to do to some degree. And the problem with Olympic weightlifting or well, uh, not just Olympic weightlifting, but Olympic sports in general is it's so specialized that it's so natural as you specialize, you move away from those general principles. So the, the key, the real trick there is to be able to remain an athlete, a generalist athlete while specializing and finding that perfect balance so that you peak at the appropriate time, which is during the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, man, that's so hard to do. That's why it's, you look at these athletes that are at their peak. They can't maintain that year round because that balance is just so hard to tweak and maintain. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Are you, are you familiar with the book range? It's kind of range. a newer, you know, maybe last two or three years no no what's it about this this very thing oh yeah yeah it's it's um i i haven't read it but i've heard him on a on a few podcasts and stuff like that but it um what's the what's the author's name uh i can't i can't remember offhand let me let me look it up real quick um but he talks about some of these stories from sports and you know these athletes that that we all know of how they um didn't just do that particular sport like maybe as they were coming up like many of them have that have become the best um did a lot of different things and it's uh by David Epstein why generalists triumph in a specialized world so it's really making the case for this uh you know wide range of of things when it comes to whether it's sports and and many many different things Mm -hmm. well eventually your specialization will fail you because it's so specialized yeah right that's what's interesting yeah Unless that's how you make a living and you're, well, it is, <laughs> you're paid and, to be, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. well, that's the thing. But, but that's, I guess that's what Brett and, and Heather were talking about there is that we don't all, we don't need to be, uh, what would they say? So you're a specialist in task A and I'm a specialist in task B. And if we work together, we don't need to be specialists in either. In, in or in both rather we we can each kind of share the load and then you expand that out to well to a family let's say a family of four then you expand that out to your community of 100 to 500 then to your country 35 million 360 million for the u.s 
uh, it's really interesting how, how that, uh, that it just works, right? It's so interesting. Like none of us, I don't think anyone in the world today could rebuild society as we have it from scratch. That's a humbling thought. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard it said to even think about a pencil. You know, I mean, how simple a pencil, I mean, you get it for five cents. Yeah. But if you had to create something similar or make this yourself, <laughs> it would just be next to impossible. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit of humility and also gratitude, I think, in that. Yeah. Y- you yeah. know, we, we need each other, man. We really do. Like someone's out there maintaining the septic system right now. Someone's maintaining the electrical, the electricity. Yeah. There's a guy you can bring your dishwasher to when it breaks. Like <laughs> it's just oh, it's crazy. So easy to forget as well. I mean, it's just like snap of a finger and you 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 forget it. You know, you yeah. you feel self-made. You feel, you know, it's like no like such thing. To, <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, god, it's it's interesting. The um let me share let me share a dark show that I've been watching with you to go dark with it here early in the conversation. Um, now I'm going to, I'm going to forget the name. I might have to look this, look this up as, as well. Um, for those listening, if you have any dark show recommendations, <laughs> send them our way. Cause we will binge watch that shit <laughs> and we will do a series on it. <laughs> Let me see. Um, Netflix. I want to say it's African Queens. Um, and it's the story of Njinga, this African queen from around uh, 16th century on Netflix. It's only four episodes, but wow, just the, uh, the darkness, the difficult conditions for that time. She's in Africa and you have all sorts of countries from Portugal to, you know, uh, many of the big countries during that time, basically pillaging Africa for slaves. This is around the time when sugar was just basically becoming a thing. You know, they called it white gold or something like that. You know, it's just obviously really valuable. And it's unbelievable how just this this woman's life and her, I mean, we just forget what we're capable of as human beings, like our our will. It's uh, I I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. But it is a. Man, just it highlights the uh, the darkness, but in a way, even though there's always darkness and there's always parts of the world that you know unspeakable atrocities are happening, but in a way, in this you know essentially five hundred years, we have come a long way as a as a society and as, as a world, you know. But it's a uh, Thanks to people, people like her, you know, really, it's like leaders that can, like, as you were talking about in the beginning of that, that, that paragraph in terms of hunter gatherer type of stuff, you know, someone that can maybe create some sort of vision for people or some sort of common goal where you can bring these specialized and generalized skills that we have for some sort of noble cause. It's amazing. Well, that that's something too. I'm realizing more and more as I work with more people and, and have to work with more people is that everyone has a strength and probably strengths, plural. And everyone definitely have weak has weaknesses, plural. Yeah. And you know, we're human beings. So you work with someone you get offended or they say something you don't like, or maybe they're lazy one day. And all of a sudden you get this bad feeling about them, this bad connotation. And it's, I'm sure most people (laughs) probably have someone that they work with 
as Marcus Aurelius would say, that's just, they're just difficult and they, you know, they don't want to work with them, but it's hard to do, but a, a useful thing is to flip it and say, well, what is this person's strengths? And if you're the leader, you ask yourself, how can I utilize that strength? Because everyone's, everyone's got strengths. Like I, I got a guy that, that works with me quite a bit and he's, uh, <clears throat> he's known to be a little bit lazy, but I was watching him one day and he's showing this kid, it's like brand new to the industry. He's like 20 years old. And this guy's like in his sixties, right? Kind of ready to retire. And he's teaching him how to tie a bowl in, in a rope and couldn't ask for a better instructor. Right, nice. just kind, patient, clear on his instructions, and and it just it really made me realize it's like, man, everybody's got a strength, and it's like, how how do you take advantage of that and use that, and and then it becomes a tricky question because is that your responsibility as a leader? And yeah, probably it is. Right, uh, it's hard. Yeah, it's weird, but and sometimes. That particular strength is um, maybe unrealized. Because yeah. I mean, in like in realistic terms, I mean, we've all been probably in some sort of environment that maybe we just weren't very good at anything that you know was happening in that particular environment. But there is this capacity to actually develop a particular skill, um, you know, maybe an unrealized or unactualized type of, uh, you know, skill and strength. But that the, the patience and things like that, that is needed. I, I find that such a beautiful thing. Isn't that just a, a nice thing? Like, you know, someone later in life, the patience to, share a bit of wisdom, knowledge, whatever it may be with um, a young person. And then four decades later, that person will be doing the same thing to someone else. So weird. Yeah. You have to have so much patience and so much humility. And I'm sure as a father, you recognize that too. Like you have to teach your kids everything. And there's a certain age where kids branch off and they meet other kids and they learn things from outside, but for, for quite a long time early in a child's life, pretty much everything they learn is from their parents. And so you, yeah. like, you have to teach them how to walk. You have to teach them how to use a spoon, right? <laughs> like, and, and it's to have the patience to do that. It's such a, I, I agree. It's a, it's a really beautiful thing because for you to have the patience and take the time to do that, you have to forestall maybe something that you really want to go after in your own life that, and, and this gets tricky as well. And I'm speaking from someone who doesn't have children, but uh, I know there's a, there's a hesitation for a lot of people that are career oriented to have kids because they feel like it's going to take away from their career. And Mm. most from what I hear, from what I hear from most parents, it's not that at all. Most of the time, even though they're more busy, kids actually give back to them in way more ways than, than it takes away. But but it is certainly a thing where it's like, okay, now instead of me maybe reading more about my profession and how to get better at that, I have to spend two hours teaching a child how to use a spoon, like the most mundane, basic <laughs> thing that I could possibly imagine. And there's there's just a really beautiful thing. that That's one of the most beautiful sentiments in human existence, that, that we have the capacity to do that. Yeah, and there's always this temptation and pull – in practical terms, which has to happen to just do it, do it for them, you know, or step in and things like that. But do I mean, you, do you struggle with that? Well, I mean, of course, uh, um, when it's time to go to school and things like that, if there's a particular time that you need to be somewhere in practical terms, there's just, if things need to be done, you know, cause if not, you're just going to be you know, late to a doctor's appointment or late to school and things like that. But, but if there's nowhere to go and there's no sort of time constraints, then, you know, I I think it's fairly easy, you know, for the most part to have the the patience. And and most of the time, like, you know, we figure this stuff out, like when it comes to walking and different things like that, or, you know, it's 
sometimes just about giving them the autonomy to figure it out, you know? Well, I guess the reason I ask, one of the reasons I've been thinking about this is because I saw on one of Shane Trotter's Substack articles, he mentions that how he he's having dinner with his children and his wife. And he says, some days, man, he does not want to answer, you know, the, the 20 why questions. (laughs) So what's that in the sky? Well, it's the sun. Well, why, why is that there? Well, so we can see, well, why? And he's, he's explaining in this article how there's some days he's just, he just doesn't want to do that. He'd much rather just have a nice dinner with just his wife. And yeah. uh, And obviously he goes on and says that it's, it's worth it and all that beautiful stuff. But, but I can definitely understand that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, an interesting thing around uh, like you mentioned uh, kids and maybe this is a transition into how to be free which we're going to talk about for maybe today and and maybe another episode. We'll see how how long it goes, but how to be free according to the Stoics. But in reference to kids, this guy, Dan Gilbert, he's written a number of books, but one is Stumbling on Happiness. And he cites this research that kids don't necessarily make people happier. And even like a second kid, (laughs) I mean, it's kind of a... You know, it feels wrong to say, but that's essentially what the research says. And I don't know who said it, but, you know, someone brought up the point of, um, you know, who, who said that the, that the goal was for everything was to become happier, (laughs) right? (laughs) you know, and that's where it gets, um, weird. And that's the thing of maybe some of the difficult part of, uh, in stoicism and, and many other wisdom traditions of training our desires and aversions and, you know, about becoming free. Sometimes to me, the, the pull or the resistance to that, the, the yeah, but is, you know, aim towards some sort of happiness or some sort of this and that. Mm. And I don't know, it's just an interesting thing like of, you know, who said that that was the goal? And maybe it's just an interesting thing to to ask, like, you know, what is the goal? What is the, the project? The Stoics point to freedom, at least, you know, Epictetus uses that word, but I think many, many others, and maybe there's synonyms to that. But like, what is the the project? Yeah, absolutely. W- what are we actually going after here? Is it happiness? And if it is, what does that really mean? Like, what yeah. do you mean by happiness? Do you <laughs> yeah. mean nonstop joy? Do you mean ups and downs? Is that included in your calculation? It is interesting that most people I, – I read that study too somewhere that most people don't become, quote, quote, happier after they have children. But I, I also wonder too – because you know you could say that you could say the same thing i don't know uh most people aren't happy about their death Mm. you could also say that but then again like you and i were you and i talked about yesterday quite a bit it's like well maybe maybe it doesn't have to be maybe it's just a change of perspective but i do think that there is a thing where when you have more responsibility piled onto you maybe you're more susceptible to a to a victimhood mindset or to a, I don't know, a, a not particularly stoic mindset. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know what is, um, if we think about this thing of desires and aversions, and you know, I'm really into, <laughs> into this stuff. Like I, I really think it's such an important thing of desire essentially for anybody's like new to these terms is essentially our, our wants. And then aversions would be, you know, the things that we don't want to happen. But as you keep expanding, like say your family, your life grows. So, you know, you have this one individual and then it's like they become, you know, a supervisor at work. So now they're maybe leading a team or part of a big team. And then there's a spouse, then there's kids. 
you know, it keeps just expanding out like these things of that are not necessarily up to us. You know, what's up to us, what's not up to us. Yes, in a in a certain way, like your kids. Yes, there are things that are up to you, but yet they have this agency and they have their own desires and wants. The same thing with any sort of employees on a team and things like that. You know, you have these competing essentially desires um, and it, it just, it becomes complex rather quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe we should mention our bonus episodes because I know we're in, we're in the point of transitioning here. Mm. So if you would like to become a paid subscriber on Substack, you will gram, you will have access to some bonus series. The first one I think is going to be the inside man, which is probably going to be released next week. Well, if you're listening to this, it won't be next week, but uh, let's say first week in March, it'll be out. So, and also I think there's some articles too bumping around on the, on the premium version of Substack. So definitely check that out if you're interested. Uh, anything you want to add? Yeah. So yeah, anybody that's maybe new to listening. So we, we do an episode for all subscribers, basically every other Monday. So two, two a month. But then if there's something that maybe sparks our interest in the way of like Brandon just mentioned the inside man, this, uh, Netflix series that I, I recommend I, I enjoyed. Um, and then we did a couple episodes that were basically a commentary on that, which gets into the darker sides of, of human nature and stuff. And we've done another bonus episode on, um, Emerson self-reliance and things like that. So there'll be more of these bonus episodes, uh, you know, for, for people that want to, want to take part in that. And just the other thing I would add very quickly is if, uh, for whatever reason you can't afford it or it's, it's without, it's outside of your reach, just send one of us a quick email. We're happy to give complimentary, um, premium as well. So cool. Well, let's move on. Desires and aversions. Yeah. I, I know you and I talk about this quite a bit, but I think there's a reason behind that because I think it is, it's something that nags at you on a regular basis, like almost hourly desires, what we want, aversions, what we don't want. And I know you and I both have done a lot of personal work on trying to, I don't know, discern between which ones are useful or which ones are not. And, and even, I don't know, just, just learning how to let it go. I I would say that this is something I'm trying to teach my younger brother right now. So he's, he's quite a bit younger than me. He's 16, but he's at the phase where, you know, he's getting, he wants to get a car, he wants to get a skidoo and he wants to get this and that. And I'm trying to explain to him, no matter how many things you get, you're always going to want something else. And, and he just, he hasn't really grasped that yet. Right. I mean, he's still young. Obviously I didn't grasp that till I was embarrassingly older, but it it is an interesting thing that we, we feel that way. If you talk to any young person and they're, it's like, no, once I get that car, I'll be happy. Once I get this, I'll be happy. Once I get that, I'll be happy. And then they get it and then they want something else. And even then they'll still say, no, no, no. Once I get that next thing, then I'll be happy. And it's just, it's like, how do you learn that lesson? How do you really learn that lesson about that you're always going to want more and there's always going to be things that you don't want and you have to just kind of learn to be okay with that, even though it's going to keep coming back and nagging at you, right? Yeah, I don't necessarily focus too much on that myself. I don't don't necessarily feel that those are in my own experience as strong of desires or as challenging to, to let go. We were speaking the other day on the phone and talking about, you know, say someone that is maybe experiencing a hard time in life 
you know, like, like oftentimes it's not, I, you know, to, to generalize, I don't think it's like a hard time in life because they don't have this particular toy or this particular car, because like, honestly, if you can afford it and you have them, I don't see anything wrong with, you know, necessarily spending it and and getting those things. As long as you remind yourself that, Hey, it's not necessarily needed. Maybe you can get it, appreciate it. But what can really be challenging is like, say relationships, the people, the co-workers, you know, it's the whole human stuff that to me, it seems like can really just drive us a bit, uh, a bit mad almost if you, if you will, you know, it can really, I don't know. Do you, do you see it that way? Like, how do you think about what causes maybe the most, most suffering? I think it depends on the person actually, because yeah. I think if you're, if your personality type is more inclined towards people, you you would find that generally more dissatisfying, say things that you're not getting versus, I don't know, say like an engineer like myself, that's more interested in things generally speaking. Um, I don't know. I haven't struggled too much with, uh, with either, but I, in general, but I've had these really strong impulses. Like I, uh, driving a car, for example, and I've always wanted a truck, but I could never justify it. Cause it's just it's like, why the hell do you, I need a truck. And, um, and so you, you get into this pattern. Like I've gotten into this pattern before where you get in the car and it's like the first thing you think about is I don't like this goddamn car. Like I want to, I want to get a truck. And then I guess I had some ounce of wisdom enough to know that getting the truck is not going to fix this problem. And this is something that I have to fix. And I honestly, man, it, that came back in waves over the course of like a year or two. Right. And Mm -hmm. then now, now it's completely gone. And, and uh, it's just, I like my car now, right? <laughs> but, but it's it's so interesting. But I know what you're saying with in terms of people. I think I think both are difficult, and I've struggled with that too. Where you know, you, I don't know, you you make you make a new friend or something, and it's like, man, like this guy could be my best friend, something like that, right? I really like this guy. And then all of a sudden, they do something that you just don't like. I don't know. They they show up late one day, or they uh, whatever it is that pisses you off, and then all of a sudden like, damn, I thought this person was perfect. And mm. I think that that's something that I can certainly see is that we, we do seem to have this natural desire for people to, to know exactly how to act to please us and to be willing to do so. And, and I think that that's just ridiculous. But yet, I feel that way sometimes. And I, I'm sure you do as well. So it's it's a hard thing. How do you think the Stoics, you know, say someone that is experiencing a tough time in life. I don't know, paint the picture of whoever it may be. Like, where do you start? You know, it's like, um, because some of this stuff, like you read um, How to Be Free, which is a modern translation of, of Epictetus. It just does not necessarily... How do, how do I put it? It's not, it doesn't go down lovely. Like it's a difficult pill to swallow. I would imagine, especially for someone new, you know, to this type of stuff. Like you say someone that is ex- experiencing something and it's in their mind, it's miserable. And Epictetus comes along and he says, you know, it's not things themselves that trouble people, <laughs> but their opinion about things. It seems almost, I could imagine it feeling insensitive, you know, but like, what's the alternative though? I mean, I'm just curious to uh, maybe do a thought experiment. Well, yeah. And I think this is where, you know, cause you and I spoke about this yesterday quite a bit. And I think this is what's hard about that pill to swallow is that when you say it's your opinion about it that's making you suffer, it almost comes off as as if it's an instantaneous fix. 
as if we can just change our opinions with the snap of a finger. And we can certainly do that momentarily, right? Like if, if I get pissed off about something stupid and you as my friend come along and say, Brandon, this is stupid. Just don't worry about it. You're giving me perspective and I'm using that perspective to change my opinion. And now my opinion is, you know what? That's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. You can do that instantaneously. But I think to achieve that wholeheartedly, you know, in the deepest part of yourself, you just, you have to adopt that habit. You have to adopt the habit of when something uh, bothers you, you change your perspective on it. And so I guess this is where, you know, we were talking about how hard this is or how easy this is or how simple this is for people to change their opinion about things. You say it's a hard pill to swallow. I think it is because in some sense it almost comes off as an instantaneous fix. But I, I think the reality is, is that it just takes a very, very long time to build the habits necessary to be able to do that, even though you can do it momentarily. Can you do it consistently? Can you do it every day? Can you do it every time you get pissed off? And that that's the hard part, I think. Yeah. And, and you know, we've, we've spoke before and, and sometimes, um, I don't know, it seems like sometimes we have a different, uh, we're almost looking at this particular project from a different angle or, or something like that. I don't exactly know, know what it is, but I remember a, a conversation maybe a couple months ago, we were kind of, kind of getting into it and then touched on it a bit yesterday as well. Um, like to me, and maybe I interpret some of this stuff in a weird way or maybe not so, so accurate, but I, I see like Epicureanism, like Stoicism, Buddhism, a lot of similarities in terms of how do you come to just accept what is, you know, it's like the Stoics, you know, to not be a slave, you know, it's like these desires and passions and, you know, essentially it's like they're ruling us, you know, how do we become free? And Epictetus writes like, don't ask for things to happen as you would like them to but wish them to happen as they actually do and you'll be all right. Yeah. It seems like so often it's like we miss that that's the project. Like I really do. I think that is the project, you know, some like peace, tranquility, freedom. How can you be content in the way of, breathing and being alive. But it does seem possible. It doesn't mean that if something, if X happens or if this happens and quote unquote, it is something that you wanted to happen that you can't appreciate it, be grateful for it. But at the same time, and maybe that's like a paradox of like holding at the same time that is like, if you don't get this thing that you might want, like you're you're still at peace. You know, you're still free. You're still all right. You can accept and be content with things as they unfold. Yeah, and I thought a bit too about our conversation yesterday about that. And I think it almost gets back to yes, exactly what Epictetus said. But but I knew but, you were gonna. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but this is important because yeah. the yeah, but thing, that mean that's an explanation of a paradox, right? But only if you're maximizing your agency. So accept everything that comes your way. Yeah, sure. But only if you're acting in such a way that maximizes your chances of having the life that you want. And I think that's the key. I mean, and maybe that's our fundamental disagreement because I think at the end of the day, philosophy has to be embodied and it, it's defined well, by course. action. Right. It's defined well, by yeah. action. So, but, but this perspective that Epictetus is saying that's so valuable, it's like, okay, this didn't happen the way I wanted. Let's accept it. 
yes, but that's that's a that's a perspective, that's a thought. That, and that can only come when it's preceded by directed action, meaningful action. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So like he says don't ask for things to happen as you would like them to happen. Yeah, but but what? Okay. Your daughter gets in a car accident. What could you Okay, so your daughter is learning how to drive. What are we going to do to make sure that she's more less likely to get in a car accident? Well, we have agency. We don't ha- we can't completely prepare her to never get into a car accident because a lot of stuff is outside of anyone's control, but we can put her through driving courses, we can dedicate some time to teach her how to drive properly. And then she could still get into a car accident. Yeah. And then you can say, okay, I have to accept that as it is. But if you were completely negligent, if she was asking you for help to learn how to drive, if she was asking you for, for, and you guys had the money and you could afford a training, uh, a training, a, a teacher to instruct her how to drive properly, and you kept saying, no, 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 you'll be fine. And then you basically neglected her. It would be hard for you to say, well, I have to accept that as it is. I think there's a lesson to be learned there. And that is there are different things that we could have done to make this become more successful, have a a better chance of success. And maybe on the next child that's getting her license next year, maybe we can do those things. Is is that, I know that's a hard example. It's kind of a sad example, but does that kind of. No, like I get what you're saying. Um, No, I, I, I think that's a good example. But then the thing is like, don't ask for things to happen as you would like them to. So the things that happen, it's like the world, the way that things unfold. It's not up to you. Yes and no. But, but if we think like from a real, like, like the project of, you know, it's like we've spoke before. It's like, I just did this episode on like the five things we cannot change. It's very like we're constantly the like the Buddhists might use the words like clinging, grasping, craving. You know, that is our human tendency. That, that's like the reason that in the very opening thing of Epictetus, you know, as we we're talking about like how to be free, some things are up to us and some things are not up to us. Like the the point is is that man, like as humans, we're constantly going to be grasping to that other side. Like yeah. there's just a natural tendency, like like children. You know, I mean, it's like a that's you know in a similar way. Like that's like a good example, maybe because it's very visible. You can see how maybe a young child, like I have a four year old, it's very known. But like once that happens, so say that happens, an accident, whether you did some of those preventive type of things, now seat belts, the proper this, the proper training, all of that is now in the category of the past, mm-hmm. completely outside of our control. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like, this has happened. We're there. Now, it's like a reoccurring thing of what's up to us, what's not up to us. Just constantly, each and every moment. But then once it happens, to me, it's in this other category of now it's it's outside of our control because it's already happened. Yes, completely agree. But if you have another child, what do you do? Exactly. But again, it's how does, you know, it's, it's about like, don't ask for things to happen as you would like them to now. Cause even if you do all those things and that, and that's the thing of, um, 
Like we're also striving for certainty and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah. You do all those things and it doesn't guarantee that someone won't be injured or someone won't die. That is outside of our control. So it's like we we want to like, yes, of course, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do things that you see to be wise and things like that. And we shouldn't prepare. And of course, of course, it's like those are all within our control and things like that. But it comes to like the desire of wishing. Don't ask or wish for things to happen as you would like them to. Right. It it has to be coupled, though, with the other side of the coin. And, and, and actually, here's a, here's a great flip of this, because Epictetus also says, if you are negligent, you just as well burn the capital down and kill your father. So, and th- this is extreme, the, pr- this, but, but, but so is the other one. So was the other, yeah. so was that opinion extreme. This is yeah. the part of stoicism that nobody wants to talk about. And I, I say nobody, I mean people that are coming new to stoicism because you become, you, you learn the stoic principles and you think, this is great. I can just ignore things outside of my control and be happier. Again, yeah, but there's also a huge list of responsibility that you have to take on. You have to, you can't be negligent. You can't be ignorant. You have to strive towards wisdom. So the whole thing of, yeah, that's outside of my control. Yes. But if you're negligent, it's not uh it's a minor negligence. No, no, no. According to Epictetus, you just as well do the worst possible thing you could possibly do because you were negligent in the one thing that you actually had agency over. But what does that mean though? Like in terms of that little thing, negligent, burn the capital down and things like that. And then you said like the yeah, but you were talking about yeah, but like Leading the life that you want. So leading the life that no. you desire. Well, I thought that was what you uh, what you said. But unpack like what, what that means. Well, bur- um, bur- burning the capital was basically considered the most heinous crime in... in but negligent in what? Like how would someone be negligent? Not upholding justice, being a coward, um, being a fool, you know opposite of the cardinal virtues essentially but that i mean that is within your control right but if but if you are negligent in that then you accept the worst possible consequences even if they don't come to fruition so you said so you okay here i know this is really confusing it's 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 like stretching my brain you said earlier that you can maximize your agency. You can do everything you possibly can to prepare your daughter for an accident. And then she gets into an accident. Yeah. You can also do the opposite. You could be completely negligent in everything you do and still become successful to the stoic. The outcome doesn't matter. What matters is that you maximize your agency on what's actually within your control. But if you don't do that, it's equivalent to burning down the capital. It's equivalent to doing the worst possible, having the worst possible outcome. Actually, here's a great example. Drunk driving. If some, if you go drinking and you drive and you're, you know, you shouldn't be driving, right? You're intoxicated. Yeah. And you don't kill anyone. <clears throat> is that good or bad? That's terrible to the stoic because you were negligent. You were foolish you just as well kill somebody. Even though you didn't, that's not up to you. What was up to you is that you don't drink and drive. And guess what the hell you did? You got drunk and you drove. You just as well have killed someone that night. Yeah. That's the heart. That's the other side of the coin of stoicism that no one wants to talk about because it's harsh. And and none of us is achieving that perfection either. Well, I don't, I don't think nobody wants to talk about that. I think that's pretty straightforward in terms of personal responsibility. Uh, like I, what like to me like what's confusing about that like this thing the the de- desires and aversions type of stuff that the buddhists and all these people are talking about that is in a way i think it's confusing a little bit it's it's very difficult and um i don't th- to me that like some of this stuff is feels like 
a different thing. Well, no, well, I think it's, I think it, again, I think it's the other side of the coin, but I, I would disagree. I think this is something that people struggle with, but they don't even realize they struggle with it. How often do you give someone the advice that's outside of your control? All the bloody time. How often do you say, actually, you can change that. Here's, you could do this, you could do that, you could do this. We don't like to give that advice because it's work. We don't like to hear that advice because it's work. Yeah, but that to me is different than like what they're talking about in terms of being free. Like this idea of freedom. Don't ask for things to happen as you would like them to, but wish them to happen as they actually do and you'll be all right. Central thing in Eastern philosophy, you know, as well of being with what is over and over and over like these other things and it seems like totally it's it's not a I, different I, thing i know you're not i know i'm 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 not explaining the connection here i think they're deeply interrelated because i don't think you can take that as standalone advice it's missing something it's missing the whole other side of the coin and and maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong about this but I don't think you can just say, well, we're, you know, again, we're talking about paradox. This is paradoxically speaking. Yeah. You, you can't talk about one side of a paradox that this is how I feel about this topic. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, but like, let's say just from the um, root of suffering, like the slave. Mm hmm. The Stoics are saying the slave is a person that they're essentially like prisoner to their desires and aversions. Don't ask for things to happen as you would like them to, but wish them to happen as they actually do. So it's like not doing that, you know, having these desires and aversions, clinging, grasping, like whatever it may be. Like a lot of these wisdom traditions would point to that as the root of suffering or the cause of suffering, or it puts you in the category of, you know, essentially being a slave. You haven't necessarily conquered yourself. Like, would you, would you see it that way? I mean, in terms of, and that's why I think it's important to like, what is the root of when we find ourselves not in a place of tranquility, mm-hmm. what is the root of, you know, why am I not in that space? Accept things that are outside of your control. That's the idea that Epictetus is talking about. And maximize your agency on the things that are within your control. That's the point that I'm trying to talk about. Yeah. Y- you can't just and do what's one. within your control. Well, it's it's your thoughts, your perspective, your uh, perception your actions your intentions you you can change this and again not instantaneously but over time you can get yourself into the habit of having let's say wiser ones or proper ones right because because yeah. you 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 can maximize your agency and be completely dependent on the outcome and you can be completely you don't even care what the outcome is and be a piece of shit. You 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 need both. You can't have one without the other. Yeah, I I don't know who would argue against maximizing your agency. I mean, it like right. to me, it's like it's so straightforward. I mean, personal but, responsibility. It seems like um um a, a given. But it's yet I I I I would dis- I think a lot of people struggle with this especially if you look at what are what are the 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 younger generation's complaints and i'm i'm including myself in that umbrella (laughs) but but what are the younger people's complaints now it's all about it's your fault it's your fault in other words we're not taking responsibility over our own situation and what we can change about it yeah so let's say like someone is in the place of you read that particular thing which i've read it a few times i'm not going to read it again but you know they're in the place that which we all are, I am all the time, mm-hmm. of I have this desire, you know, I'm wishing things to be different 
than they are? How does maximizing my agency like solve this? Like, so if you're my doctor, mm-hmm. you know, you're Epictetus, you're diagnosing me. Maximizing my agency does not always, you know, if my insatiable desire is for, you know, this person to behave this way, maximizing my agency does not remove or solve or do a hill of beans oftentimes to my desire or my aversion. So there's something I don't want to happen. A tornado comes and blows my house away. I did not want that to happen. Maximizing my agency doesn't necessarily beforehand. Now, it might in terms of rebuilding after and stuff like that, but I didn't want that to happen and it mm-hmm. happened. So, maximizing my agency, yeah, of course, like we have to do that. But that doesn't necessarily like that's a different thing to me than training our aversions and desires. Cause this is a thing of how do we let go of our aversions and desires? How do we remove them? Yes. But I, I think, I think we're talking about somewhat different things here because I do too. You, you, okay. But you bring up, what would you say? Insatiable desires. I always want a new car. I always want a new, a bigger truck, whatever it is. Fine. And then you're talking about a tragedy that happens, a quote, quote, tragedy, right? Losing your character is the only true tragedy. (laughs) (laughs) But, but then you're talking about a tragedy occurring. Yeah. It's like they're, they're in slightly different categories there. There, there are different categories of desire. I mean, there's even the, there's natural desires in stoicism, which is I am hungry. That's a natural desire. You, you eat and you're okay for a while. Obviously, no Stoic would tell you never to eat because that's a desire and blah, 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 right? When we're talking about, again, something like a tornado hitting, if you're in a, if you know that you're in an area where you're susceptible to tornadoes, maximizing your agency means accepting that. And maybe you can avoid the potential damage that comes from the tornado when it comes. If it's a freak of nature and it never happened and it never has happened before, you still maximized your agency because you didn't have the wisdom or the or the wherewithal to know that that was even a possibility. So, yes, I like I, I completely. I'm we're completely aligned with when shit goes sour, you accept it, and we're in complete alignment with. There's a bunch of desires out there that we have that are insatiable. I think we're in complete alignment with that. Um. I just think that there there is another there is the other side to that as well. But I, again, it gets complicated because we're talking about different categories here of, of of desire. I don't know. Did that offer more confusion or more clarity? <laughs> no, I mean, no, and I and I think so. I mean, it's an important thing to say that you have to maximize your agency. I mean, it's like yeah, no disagreement whatsoever. I'm just saying that that doesn't always. And oftentimes, you know, does, does not like say in terms of just relationships, like, you know, married, very difficult. You know, there's a reason that marriages don't often, you know, work out and things like that. It's Mm -hmm. challenging. And, you know, or even just a roommate in general, you know, like two people, you know, living together in a place, you know, you have a desire for. Um, you know, one person wants the dishes to immediately be done and never to be dirty dishes in the sink. The other has a different desire. You know, they prefer you let them build up and do it. There's all these like little tiny things. It doesn't even have to be a big thing, but it can drive people. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's challenging, you know, that the human human stuff is the challenging stuff and um, maximizing your agency doesn't have anything to do with that in my mind. You know, the the fact that, that you're living with another person that has their own agency, 
that has their own freedom that it's really none of your business in a in a certain extent as a mature adult of to come micromanage how they how you want them to live just because you're i mean yeah there can be these shared type of agreements and you can talk about things how you're going to do stuff but again we cross into that boundary because we constantly have this desire for things to go the way we want them to go. Well, yeah, this other person has those same type of things. They have their desire for things to unfold the way they want. And those often don't always align. And the maximizing your agency piece is a you thing. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to do with maximizing your agency unless we're talking about maximizing our our, our agency to let go of our desires maximizing our agency to train our desires and actually remove them which is what epictetus calls the path to peace it's often sometimes called like the discipline of perception i mean it's literally the opening chapter of the obstacle is the way and it's you know part one of that and the daily stoic it's like Stoicism 101, how do we reframe, how do we change our perception, um, you know, so there's definitely agency there, but, uh, but yeah. Well, yeah, and, and this, this was something I realized as well, I think around the same time you did, is that maximizing your agency includes dealing with these desires in, a, in an appropriate way, but... Yeah. I think so there's 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 t- two categories or even let's say two extremes of this. There's competing desires as you mentioned. These are the more complicated ones. I want the dishes to build up in the sink. You want to wash every single dish every time we use it. Okay. Yeah. That's going to be a little complicated to negotiate. Normally, I think it's rare that you're going to have um let's say we care about those to an equal amount. So you're going to care about it. You're having your way on this particular thing a little bit more than I am, but then maybe I want the socks in the laundry basket right away and you don't. And, and, and you would prefer to keep them on the floor, but maybe you care a little bit less. And so in the context of a relationship, I think maximizing your agency means negotiating that properly with your partner and making sure that you guys are on the same page with that. And, and of course, there's going to be compromise. But I, th- I think there, there's a point here that underlines all this because, you know, you mentioned something earlier that the environment is not up to you. And I wanted to address this because that's not exactly true in the stoic sense. And this is something I learned from Will Johncock. The environment is an external and it's not up to you, but – you are a stoic and you have a you are a piece of the environment you share in the cosmic structure it's like what god does is not up to me great but you also have a piece of god within you so you, your actions within that does actually dictate what the environment does not in a large way maybe it maybe yes in a large way in the context of two people in a relationship and then maybe it gets smaller as you branch out to the community and the country and the world um, but whatever environment you're in it's not as simple as, well, this is, that's an external because you're, you're a piece of that. It's, it's really, it took me a long time to wrap my head around that. And I still think I'm really oozy about it because it's really complicated, but. Like, I get what you're saying in terms of, um, like, if you're able to predict the, um, the future, like even the same thing with the, with the kid, you know, like injured in a, in a car accident or something like that. Now. There's just uncertainty. Like, we just don't know so many things. Like, even if we know about the hurricane, we don't know about the drunk driver who passes out and drives their um, truck through my living room. You know, I mean, there, there's just an infinite number, like, of uncertainty things. So, there isn't a world that we can live in where we can do everything, you know, maximize our agency to the point where we have checked every box and then the world is going to unfold. And I think like, that's what Epictetus is talking about. It's like, it's totally 
just uncertain. And there ain't much you can do about the fact that of the world working that way. You know, it's like the ocean thing that we've talked about where it's like, yes, you it's dark under there. You don't know what's under there. Yeah, you could put on scuba gear, you could get a light and you could go shine around and see what's under your feet, you know, and and know what's under there. But then you like come back to the surface. Now there might be new things. Now there might be a shark, you know, that has swam underneath of you. And that just exists like over and over. And that's the thing of like, don't have these strong desires and aversions of how things can un you know should or can unfold and stuff like that um but to me that particular thing like the desire particular thing and this and that is um i don't know it just seems like such a doggone difficult thing and these other things are connected to it but they're a bit different if that makes any sense. I don't know if that makes any sense, but they're like, but again, I I think we have a desirous outcome. Okay. Actually, maybe this is a good way of thinking about this. Maybe this is a good example. We can imagine in our heads, the perfect society. Okay. Justice. Everyone's has meaningful existence. Everyone has good work. And we're going to fall short of that all the time. But we still hold that as a desire. But like Marcus Aurelius is writing him to himself, reminding don't go around expecting Plato's Republic. He's specifically writing to himself not to do that. But one of the four cardinal virtues is justice. Yes. Meaning there's a social obligation to create a better world. So, yes, accept that we're never going to get there, but you still strive for it. Th- th- I think this is where a fundamental disagreement is. I yeah. think, I think you, I think you have to have a desire. And I think, I even think the Stoics would agree with that. And again, I'm not talking about a new fancy car. I'm talking about yeah. somewhere, like some, what, something that I want. And what do you want? Well, maybe a better world. That's a pretty damn good place to start. But then you also have to detach yourself from the outcome. I mean, you have to move towards something, right? So what are you moving towards? And if you're moving towards it, you better damn well want it. And then when you don't get it, what do you do? Well, you detach yourself from the outcome. <laughs>